Hey everyone, I'm Ben Norton. Here at Geopolitical Economy Report, I talk a lot about sanctions. And it's very important to understand that in the 21st century, sanctions have become the main form of warfare that the United States wages around the world. Throughout the first Cold War, we saw that the US invaded dozens of countries, organized coups across the planet. Now, the US still does sometimes invade countries like Iraq, Afghanistan. It does still back coups. But one of the main ways in which the US wages war on countries around the world today is through economic warfare, through the use of sanctions. One quarter of the global population lives in countries that are targeted by unilateral US sanctions that are completely illegal according to international law. They violate the UN Charter, they violate UN Security Council resolutions, they are illegal. And yet, the US continues to impose more and more sanctions. I have talked a lot about how ironically, these sanctions are starting to backfire because other countries are unifying and trying to create new financial institutions and payment mechanisms, and they're even using new currencies to challenge the US-dominated international financial system and the US dollar. I've talked about that a lot in, in many videos and podcasts, but what I'm gonna talk about today specifically are the sanctions on Syria. After a decade of devastating war, the people of Syria are suffering now even further through a horrific earthquake that has killed thousands of people. Today is February 11th, and the most recent estimates show more than 3,000, nearing 4,000 people in Syria have died in this horrific earthquake, and over 10,000 have died in Turkey, Turkey, also because of this earthquake. But the difference is, Turkey is a member of NATO, it's a Western ally, it's not under sanctions. Syria is under devastating sanctions. The people of Syria have been suffering for a decade now. First, because of a proxy war that the US, Europe, and Israel were waging on the people of Syria and the government of Syria starting in 2011, trying to overthrow the Syrian government in this regime change war. The CIA spent $1 billion per year as, in, 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 as one of the largest covert operations in CIA history. It was actually the largest CIA covert operation since the 1980s CIA operation in which the CIA in Operation Cyclone has spent billions of dollars arming and funding and training the Mujahideen who were Salafi jihadist extremists and their proxy war against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. So fast forward to 2011, and then you have the emergence of Operation Timber Sycamore, and the CIA spends billions of dollars arming and funding and training these Salafi jihadist extremists, just like the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. And of course, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan eventually gave birth to Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. So it was a very similar tactic that the US carried out, and Israel played a role European countries played a significant role, spending billions of dollars flooding Syria with weapons, training these extremists to try to overthrow the government. So during this war, the US and Europe began imposing sanctions on Syria. And it began as soon as the proxy war began in 2011. And then what happened later is that the US expanded those sanctions into a full-on Cuba-style blockade. So after the US clearly lost the war militarily. It was clear by 2019 that the U.S. would not be able to physically overthrow the Syrian government. So the U.S. passed this law called the Caesar Act, 
And it's basically a Cuba-style blockade. It made it pretty much impossible for any country around the world and its businesses to do, to do trade with Syria. And what the people of Syria have suffered through is very similar to what the people of Cuba and Venezuela and Zimbabwe and other embargoed, blockaded countries have suffered. They've suffered from mass inflation, hyperinflation, because the Syrian central bank can't get enough foreign currency to stabilize its own national currency. There has been a huge shortage of food, including wheat, and I'll talk about why in a second, a shortage of oil, a shortage of other imported goods, a shortage of medicine and medical equipment. It's been a complete disaster. Thousands of Syrian civilians are dying because of these illegal unilateral sanctions imposed by the U.S. And then, of course, as always, the European Union just simply followed along and did what the U.S. did imposed and imposed this blockade on Syria. Now, in addition to that, the U.S. military is physically occupying around one third of Syrian territory. And there's this famous photo showing U.S. military armored vehicles with the U.S. flag right by the oil fields in Syria because the U.S. military just so happens to be occupying the areas in Syria that have the largest oil reserves and wheat reserves, which explains why the Syrian the people of Syria are suffering from a shortage of both oil and wheat because the U.S. military is occupying those areas. And there have been many reports that the U.S. military and the Kurdish proxies that the U.S. military is backing, the so-called Syrian Democratic Forces, SDF, or the so-called YPG, People's Protection Units, which are just U.S.-backed proxy militias. There have been many reports that they're stealing the oil and wheat and selling it. And on top of that, a top U.S. government official has boasted that the U.S. military owns one third of Syrian territory. That's the word she used, own. And this is from a video clip that I found back in 2019 of Biden, the top Pentagon Middle East policy official, the head of the Middle East desk for the Defense Department. She's a neoconservative operative named Dana Struhl. Before that, she oversaw Syria policy. And she boasted, again, that the U.S. military owns one-third of Syria, including its oil-rich economic powerhouse. Check out this video clip here. The United States still had compelling forms of leverage on the table to shape an outcome that was more conducive and protective of U.S. interests. And we identified four. So the first one was the one-third of Syrian territory that was owned via the U.S. military with its local partner, the Syrian Democratic Forces. Now, this was a light footprint on the U.S. military, only about 1,000 troops over the course of the Syria Study Group's report. And then the tens of thousands of, of forces, both Kurdish and Arab, under the Syrian Democratic Forces. And that one-third of Syria is the resource-rich, it's the economic powerhouse of Syria. So where the hydrocarbons are, which obviously is very much in the public debate here in Washington these days, as well as the agricultural powerhouse. But we argued that it wasn't just about this one-third of Syrian territory that the U.S. military and our military presence owned, both to fight ISIS and also as leverage for affecting the, the overall political process for the broader Syrian conflict. There were three other areas of leverage. One is political and diplomatic isolation of the Assad regime, so holding the line on diplomatic isolation, preventing embassies from going back into Damascus. Two is the economic sanctions architecture. So some of this is part of the maximum pressure campaign of the Trump administration on Iran, but there's a whole suite of both executive and congressional sanctions on Syria and Bashar al-Assad, both for human rights abuses in Syria and to the backers of Assad for their activities on support in support of him in Syria. 
and three was reconstruction aid. So the United States remains the overall largest single donor of humanitarian aid to Syrians both inside Syria and refugees outside of Syria. And there was some stabilization assistance in the part of Syria that was liberated from ISIS and controlled via the Syrian Democratic Forces in northern eastern Syria. The rest of Syria, though, is, is rubble. And what the Russians want and what Assad wants is economic reconstruction. Um, and that is something that the United States can basically hold a card on via the international financial institutions and our cooperation with the Europeans. So we argued that absent behavioral changes by the Assad regime, we should hold the line on preventing reconstruction aid and technical expertise from going back into Syria. So that says everything. That's a top U.S. government official. She's now the head of the Middle East desk for the Pentagon under Biden, boasting that the U.S. goal was to prevent reconstruction in Syria after backing this war for 10 years that has just devastated the country, and also to use international financial institutions, stressing how the U.S. military, the U.S. government controls them, like the IMF and the World Bank, to prevent aid from going into government-held areas. And finally, she boasts that the U.S. military owns one-third of Syrian territory. She said that twice. The U.S. military owns that, that, that territory in alliance with these Kurdish proxies that the U.S. military has cultivated inside Syria. So that brings me back to the issue of the earthquake. Thousands of Syrians have died in this earthquake, and the U.S. was still maintaining these brutal, illegal sanctions. But because of international pressure, the U.S. government decided on February 9th that it's going to temporarily suspend sanctions on Syria. I really want to emphasize that word, temporarily. It's only for six months, only until August. They say that very clearly in this statement that was released by the Office of Foreign Assets Control of the U.S. Treasury Department, which oversees sanctions. And it says that this is only until 12 p.m. on August 8th, 2023. Now, this is very revealing because by temporarily suspending these sanctions, the U.S. government is implicitly admitting that its sanctions actually prevent humanitarian aid from going into Syria. Now, this is deeply ironic because one day before on February 8th, the State Department hit back against critics internationally that claimed that its sanctions were preventing humanitarian aid to Syria. And the U.S. State Department said in Arabic, any U.S. or international sanctions include humanitarian medical food and other aid exemptions. U.S. President Joe Biden was clear when he said the U.S. was prepared to provide any and all types of aid to the people of Syria, and the U.S. is not preventing any countries from doing so. But that is a lie. That is what the U.S. State Department was saying on February 8th, and it's false. It's not true. This was admitted by one of the most mainstream media outlets, the Associated Press, the AP. They published an article the day before on February 7th, before the State Department made those comments, saying, it's titled, Aid to Quake, Quake Hit Syria, Slowed by Sanctions, Wars Divisions. And they admit here, the AP quoted the president of the Syrian Arab Red Crescent, the world's leading humanitarian organization. His name is Khaled Khububati. And he called, I'm reading from the Associated Press, he called for the European Union to lift its sanctions on Syria in light of the massive destruction caused by the earthquake the sanctions exacerbate the difficult humanitarian situation, Hubati said. 
There is no fuel even to send aid and rescue convoys. And this is because of the blockade and sanctions. That is the president of the Syrian Arab Red Crescent, the leading humanitarian organization. Again, that was a day before the State Department claimed, our, our sanctions don't stop humanitarian aid. There was another article in CNN, again, as mainstream as media outlets get, very closely linked to the U.S. government. This is from February 8th, the same day where the State Department released its comment claiming falsely that its sanctions don't affect humanitarian aid. On February 8th, this article is titled, As Aid is Rushed into Turkey, Syria Could Be Left Behind. And the article noted, it quoted UN, the UN envoy of Syria, the Syrian government's ambassador to the United Nations. His name is Basem Asabag. And he said that because of Western sanctions, planes with humanitarian aid, some planes have refused to land at Syrian airports because of the sanctions. And he said, quote, so even those countries who want to send humanitarian assistance, they cannot use the airplane cargo because of the sanctions. So again, the U.S. State Department was lying. There was also a report in Syrian state media, Sana, and it is it, it includes quotes from uh, Faisal Mekdar, who is the Syrian foreign minister, and it's titled U.S. sanctions prevent anything from reaching Syria. And he was doing an interview on the Lebanese uh, TV network Al Mayadeen, very by way by the way a great media outlet, one of the best. And he stated in this, he said, the sanctions imposed by the United States and Western countries on Syria exacerbated the disaster. That is the foreign minister of Syria. He called on all countries to lift their illegal sanctions, knowing they violate international law. And he responded to the State Department's false claim that its sanctions do not hurt humanitarian aid. And he said, and this is Syrian media, Sana saying that the foreign minister stressed that the U.S. claimed that they did not impose sanctions on humanitarian aid, but in reality, their sanctions, he said, but in reality, their sanctions do not allow anything from reaching Syria, including preventing the purchase of medicine, as well as Washington and its Western allies give orders to some countries and threaten them to impose sanctions on them if they negotiate with Syria or if any bank deals with Syria. This is the same situation with Cuba or Venezuela. They're called secondary sanctions. They're not only the sanctions that the U.S. imposes on the targeted country, like Syria, Iran, Venezuela, or Cuba, but also any other third party, another country, or another company or bank that wants to do business with a Syrian institution or a Venezuelan institution. They can't do it because of the sanctions. And by doing this temporary suspension, of the illegal sanctions on Syria, at least until August, the U.S. government is implicitly admitting that its sanctions do prevent humanitarian aid from going to Syria at a moment where thousands of people have died from an earthquake. I mean, th this, is, this is just criminal. It's absolutely criminal. The Chinese government released a very strong statement about this. It was from a press conference at the Chinese Foreign Ministry on February 8th featuring uh, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning. She was asked about sanctions and said that, you know, Syria is now in a terrible humanitarian crisis because of the earthquake. And then here, the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman said, quote, the U.S. has long been engaged in the Syrian crisis. Its frequent military strikes and harsh economic sanctions have caused huge civilian casualties and taken away the means to subsistence of the Syrians. As we speak, 
The U.S. troops continue to occupy Syria's principal oil-producing regions. They have plundered more than 80% of Syria's oil production and smuggled and burned Syria's grain stock. Grain stock. All this has made Syria's humanitarian crisis even worse. So it's such an important point that the U.S. has repeatedly bombed Syria and then imposed these sanctions. And as I said, the U.S. military is occupying a significant part of Syria. The Pentagon Middle East desk chief said that the U.S. military owns one third of Syria. And as China points out, that includes the oil and wheat regions of Syria. And finally, the Chinese foreign ministry spokeswoman said, quote, in the wake of this catastrophe, the U.S. Put, should put aside geopolitical obsessions and immediately lift the unilateral sanctions on Syria to unlock the doors for humanitarian aid to Syria. And by the way, China has sent humanitarian aid to Syria, along with another country that is suffering under illegal U.S. sanctions. I'm talking about Venezuela, a country that, like Syria, is under an illegal U.S. blockade. The Venezuelan government, despite the economic difficulties it is going through, has also sent humanitarian aid to Syria in solidarity. And the Venezuelan ambassador to Syria, Jesús Gregorio Bihomorji Musatis, he said, he tweeted, solidarity will never be blockaded. And he said, we received in the Damascus airport as, um, specialists who are from a search and rescue team as well as humanitarian aid. So, I mean, it's 15 tons of medical equipment and food sent by the people of Bolivar to the, the brave and noble people of Syria. So this is an example of solidarity of Global South countries that are under illegal U.S. sanctions. And the best the U.S. can do is temporarily, temporarily suspend its illegal sanctions for six months while the people of Syria suffer. Of course, the U.S. is going to go back to imposing those illegal murderous sanctions in August. And that's the best the U.S. could possibly do. In fact, in response to the Treasury temporarily lifting sanctions, the top U.N. expert on sanctions, Alina Duhan, she's the U.N. Special Rapporteur on the Negative Impact of Unilateral Coercive Measures on the Enjoyment of Human Rights, Professor of International Law. She tweeted on February 10th, she said, well, welcoming steps taken to suspend some sanctions on Syria, I call all sanctioning states to lift sanctions to open all ways to deliver humanitarian aid and to ensure that no donor, bank, or other actor is punished for humanitarian help to Syrians to avoid overcompliance. So this is her saying that it's not enough to temporarily suspend the sanctions. They need to all be lifted. And what the U.S. is doing is not enough. It's, it's again, it's violating international law. Here is the full statement released by numerous UN experts on February 10th, and it's titled Genuine Solidarity with Earthquake Survivors Calls for Lifting of Sanction-Induced Restrictions. And they say they call for lifting of all economic and financial restrictions caused by unilateral sanctions against Syria during this time of sor sorrow and human suffering. They say for humanitarian interventions to be effective, there is a need for enabling an enabling environment, which includes unhindered, unhindered delivery of humanitarian assistance, food, medicine, medical equipment, construction material, as well as unimpeded financial flows. And she says, the UN experts say that all of these are constrained 
by current sanctions regimes against countries like Syria. But note how they're not only talking about Syria, they're also talking about Venezuela and Iran because it's about other countries, Cuba. We welcome recent decisions to ease Syria's sanctions through general license. However, we wish to recall, and they link back to another report that emphasized that, that these humanitarian carve-outs, these so-called exemptions, may not be sufficient to address the long-term negative impacts, negative effects of sanctions, as well as business overcompliance with sanctions and financial de-risking. They call for putting an end to unilateral sanctions against Syria, emphasizing that it is in accordance with international law. So the U.S. government is violating international law with these sanctions. It doesn't, and they can't just say for six months, we're not going to violate international law. And out in six months, we're going to go back to violating international law. That's not how international law works. And these UN experts are making that very clear in this statement published by the UN Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. This is the top body on human rights at the United Nations, which is the top body in an international law, clearly saying that the US and the EU are violating international law. Now, finally, before I conclude today, I wanna to look at a statement that was published by the top United Nations expert on sanctions, Alina Duhan, the special rapporteur. I actually have a separate video and podcast about this and an article, and I will link to it in the description below. And it looks at a report that this top UN expert published a few months ago in 2022. And in that report, she wrote that, that Western sanctions are, quote, outrageous. She said that they were, quote, suffocating the people of Syria. And she said they, quote, may amount to crimes against humanity, stressing that these illegal sanctions could be crimes against humanity. So I want to look through a few of the comments that she made in this report, especially about how Western sanctions have prevented humanitarian aid from being sent to Syria. This is the preliminary report that was written by the UN Special Rapporteur on the negative impact of unilateral coercive measures on the enjoyment of human rights. Very long title, but she's the top UN expert on sanctions, Alina Duhan. And this was published back on November 10th after she took a two-week trip to Damascus, Syria, and she met with not only government officials, but also with humanitarian organizations, UN agencies, religious institutions, civil society organizations, a bunch of different people all across society. And then she studied the effect of sanctions, and she said that they've been absolutely devastating. 90% of Syrians live in poverty. The Syrian economy has shrunk by 90% since the beginning of the Western proxy war on Syria in 2011. And this report is 40 pages long, so I'm not going to go through all of it. If people want to hear more of the main highlights, in the description below, I link to my other episode about it, and you can check that out. But I want to go here specifically to the part of this report about how Western sanctions, U.S. and EU sanctions on Syria, have prevented humanitarian aid from being sent to the country. Because now... The U.S. State Department claims, oh, the claims on February 8th, our, our sanctions don't prevent humanitarian aid. And then on February 9th, it says, well, actually, we're going to temporarily, temporarily suspend those sanctions, suspend those sanctions to allow humanitarian aid to go through as if one day before they didn't completely contradict themselves. But anyway, here is the top U.N. expert in sanctions saying that the U.S. government has been lying. Its sanctions do prevent humanitarian aid. She said that 
Numerous international and local organizations have expressed serious concerns about the high cost of operations, including due to sanctions-induced rising prices in fuel and the challenges to financial transactions, procurement and delivery of goods and services. They report that foreign banks are often reluctant to process payments destined for Syria, especially because of the sanctions, and restrictions and delays in processing payments with suppliers can take months, leading to a restricted and less competitive market rising costs, putting at risk the implementation of life-saving humanitarian interventions. So once again, this is what sanctions actually do. It doesn't matter if the U.S. claims falsely that it has exemptions for humanitarian aid and food and medicine, because the reality is that, it, that there are no such thing as targeted sanctions. Sanctions by their very nature prevent other governments and other companies and banks around the world from doing business with the targeted country because they're afraid of being drawn in potentially and they overcompensate. It's called overcompliance. And they just, they treat the country like, like it's a leper. Like they don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's what's happened to Syria and Cuba and Iran and Venezuela. It's criminal what the U.S. has done to these countries. Now, the top U.N. experts continues explaining, ex expert continues writing, quote, even the work of U.N. agencies and programs are affected. That is by the sanctions there. They have procurement and money transfer delays of up to 1.5 years and significant losses in the value of humanitarian aid due to the delayed exchange rate movements. And also there is constant fear of possible breaches of the sanctions when engaging with Syrian entities and suppliers. And in addition to delays in getting licenses from the U.S. and the European Union, and she said international humanitarian NGOs have highlighted the inefficiency of existing humanitarian exemptions. So acknowledging that that the humanitarian exemptions don't mean anything. She says inefficient, but that's very diplomatic language. They don't work. When the U.S. and the EU claim they have humanitarian exemptions, it's just PR. It's so they can say to their critics, no, we have exemptions. No, it's ridiculous. This is the U.N. saying, obviously, it's not true. She points out again, the, it's very difficult to buy fuel. That's exactly what the president of the Syrian Red Crescent said. It's hard to get fuel to provide humanitarian assistance. It's also hard to have food distribution in a bakery rehabilitation project because of the sanctions. And she said here, she emphasized the situation due to the sanctions is more dramatic for the millions of refugees and internally displaced persons who have lost their homes and livelihoods. Women led households are facing difficulty. People with disabilities and mental disorders, they have difficulties in getting medical and rehabilitation treatments. There's a shortage of medicines and medical equipment. There's also rising costs of services. Older people suffer, children suffer. And she says that this is, that these could constitute crimes against humanity. She says that very clearly. She says because of the sanctions, it leads to impossibility of bank transfers, preventing the exercise of the right to development, deteriorating economic situations, growing illiter illiteracy, poverty, food insecurity, limited access to health services. And then she says, the top UN expert, I quote, maintaining, that is the US and the EU, quote, maintaining unilateral sanctions amid the current catastrophic and still deteriorating situation in Syria may amount to crimes against humanity, against all 
Syrian people. And that is especially true at a moment in which Syria is suffering from a brutal earthquake. Now, the U.S. may temporarily suspend those sanctions, but by doing that, the State Department, the Treasury Department, the U.S. government has admitted that its sanctions do not actually have real humanitarian exemptions. It's a lie. It's propaganda. And it's an example of how the U.S. government is a rogue regime that violates international law every day that is waging economic warfare against millions of Syrian civilians while claiming to help them while militarily occupying one third of their territory while stealing their oil and wheat. The U.S. government is a rogue regime and it is waging war on the people of Syria and Venezuela and Cuba and Nicaragua and Zimbabwe and the DPRK and Eritrea and Iran. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So we need to understand that sanctions are war. And six months of a temporary suspension is not enough. The U.S. needs to lift all of its illegal sanctions on Syria and every other country. I and mean, it's not just my opinion. That is what the United Nations has constantly said again and again and again and again. And the U.S. has constantly ignored them because, again, the U.S. is a rogue regime. With that said, I want to thank everyone as always, I have in the description below a link to all of the sources that I discussed today. You can go check it all out for yourself and share it. And if you want to support this work that I do here, you can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support, or you can go to patreon.com geopoliticaleconomy. Any support you could provide really goes a long way. We're completely independent and have no big sponsors. I'm Ben Norton. I want to thank everyone for watching or listening. I'll see you next time.